Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is a podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist and also a TEDx and keynote speaker and author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is the Mental Health Gym. It's your source of information about all things connected with wellness, positive psychology, my own spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology, and rejuvenating, of course. It's also the place to go if you have suggestions for future speakers on this podcast. As listeners well know by now, our podcast has a great emphasis on wellness and enthusiasm. And we try to bring you speakers who really have mastered both. They live their lives enthusiastically. They can help you to advance through the years enthusiastically while also emphasizing physical, emotional, and social wellness. And we're really honored today to have just such a guest. Dr. Sheldon Bjorgard is a licensed neuropathic doctor in Canada. He works primarily in the field of metabolic health and weight loss coaching for pre-diabetics and type 2 diabetics, where he not only helps them lose weight, but gain their best health ever. He also is really an expert on lifestyle management from a naturopathic physician standpoint. His advice is going to be very helpful to us. And so, Dr. Sheldon, I welcome you to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. It's a real pleasure and honor to have you with us. Thanks a lot, Ron. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Okay, well, let's find out a little bit about what you're doing and how you can be of help to so many of us. Now, you're not the first naturopathic physician that I've had on the show, but haven't had many. So every time I have one, I have to assume that there's a big chunk of the audience that hasn't heard of a naturopath before, who hasn't experienced what they do. And so can you take a few minutes and just educate us about what is a naturopathic physician? Sure. Yeah, I'll do my best. Uh, Absolutely. So uh, naturopathic medicine is a form of healthcare that is uh, very similar in a lot of ways to conventional medical care. Now, in different regions, naturopathic uh, physicians are uh, licensed as primary healthcare providers. And that's the case where I practice here in British Columbia, Canada. And like I said, there's a lot of overlap between naturopathic medicine and conventional medicine. But I would say some of the biggest differences are that naturopathic doctors really focus on uh, prevention and um, the treatment of conditions. Mostly we see a lot of chronic conditions rather than the acute acute care uh, stuff that would be more common in a hospital or a, a, a conventional medical clinic. And so, like I said, we, we uh, like to focus on preventative care and also using uh, non-invasive methods uh, to treat and to prevent, uh, especially chronic diseases. Okay, that's, that's a real nice definition of it. Is it based on a particular theory or science or was there one 
giant who discovered this thing or how, uh, wh where does this all come from? Yeah, I, th I think naturopathic medicine is very old, actually. I think, you know, back uh, years ago, um, there there wasn't really many much definition or, or kind of division uh, between different uh, branches of medicine. And so uh, there were a lot more uh, different styles of, of just practicing medicine in general. And I think the naturopathic approach, with which largely focuses on nutrition and dietary health, and also using um, uh, different forms of medicine like herbal medicine and, and things like that. And so I think uh, different branches of medicine all kind of, uh, you know, as we got to learn more and discover more, all kind of branched out into different areas of focus. And I think that's kind of just the natural evolution of things. Okay, that's really interesting. And is there a, a specific type of medical school that a naturopathic physician attends? And do you go undergraduate like people who go to, to medical school or conventional medical or dental schools do? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. And so here in, in British Columbia, where I practice, uh, we all naturopathic doctors have an undergraduate degree in uh, the biomedical sciences. And then we do another four years of naturopathic uh, medicine training before branching out into, into private practice. And can you uh, tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit about your own personal journey? Uh, I've got friends who went in different directions as we were growing up and so on. I don't think I know anybody who, uh, among my close friends and associates growing up, who went the naturopathic physician route. So I, I, I know I, I always am curious about how somebody becomes who they are. Sure. Yeah. Well, I was born and raised here in, in British Columbia, Canada, and I was always very active growing up into sports and um, competitive sports. And so I was always really naturally interested in health and nutrition for performance uh, and things like that. And so it, it was a pretty natural development for me to, you know, I knew I was uh, always wanting to do something in the health sciences field. And so, you know, just kind of looking into exploring different areas, I discovered naturopathic medicine and it really kind of uh, appealed to me in a lot of ways. And so, uh, you know, that's that's basically how how it ended up. It wasn't wasn't any kind of one moment where where I knew uh, exactly that this was the career for me, but more of just kind of a natural development of things. Great. And I'm wondering, it sounds like you have a specialty or subspecialty or something along the lines of metabolic health and uh, weight loss, especially for pre-diabetics and type 2 diabetics. First of all, just so we're not assuming anything, what do we talk about? Uh, what are we talking about when we speak of metabolic health? Or I know there's a metabolic syndrome. What, what does that all mean? Yeah, it's it's a good question. So like you said, Ron, my uh, practice is largely focused in the area of uh, metabolic health and weight management. And so, you know, uh, I guess we could define metabolic health in, in different ways, but I think that maybe one of the most practical ways we can go about uh, defining it is just the health of certain um, metabolic parameters that we might measure in, in a person that are related to uh, their overall health status. So these would include things like having healthy levels of blood sugars, uh, healthy levels of cholesterol, especially um, you know, different subtypes of, of cholesterol, um, having a healthy blood pressure, 
and having a a healthy weight, specifically um, going along with that, a healthy waist circumference, which uh, means that that somebody wouldn't have any excess fat uh, stored up around vital organs. So I think, yeah, all, all these type of factors go into the definition of metabolic health. And why is that such an issue? I know uh, when you get to be my age, I am kind of unique in terms of whenever I'm amongst others my age and people talk about medication and so on and, and they hear about my non uh, non-use of it. And it's almost always followed with the question, not even for blood pressure and cholesterol, as if that's mm-hmm. kind of a something that, that you get kind of with, with your AARP uh, discounts, you get uh, <laughs> elevated blood pressure and cholesterol. Where, how come that goes out of whack with so many people? Yeah, it's it, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't know that we know all the answers to that at this point, but um, we definitely do know that these these type of problems are definitely associated with a lot of different things, and aging is is one of them for sure. You know, I wish I wish I had a had a clear and concise answer for that question. I think the the closer we get to a clear and concise answer for that question, the the more it won't be a question anymore. Um, because we'll have uh, hopefully some some better solutions based on that. But you know, I I think the the one thing that I see a lot in in my particular um, clients is the um, accumulation of body weight and how that has an impact on things like blood pressure and cholesterol and blood sugars. I think uh, when it comes to the treatment of of these type of things, and I, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but the main area of of intervention, because there's lots of different factors, like we are talking about going into metabolic health, the um, one factor that often has the biggest impact is weight management. And so, you know, if we treat, we are able to help somebody lose weight and keep that weight off and maintain a healthy body weight, um, oftentimes they won't need as much higher doses or as many of those medications that you mentioned, rather than treating those individual problems with medication, um, which don't have an effect on weight. And hopefully that kind of makes makes sense there. Yeah, that's that's real, real interesting. It raises a couple of questions in my mind and trying to figure out which one to ask first, but one of which is, as a psychologist, I'm sometimes uh, faced with dealing with people at the other end of the spectrum that sometimes people are really not maintaining a healthy enough weight level and so on. Uh, so I'm wondering really two things. One, if somebody is not in the pre-diabetic stage, if somebody is just concerned about, you know, basic health, what are some of the principles for, you know, effective weight management? Uh, apparently, just looking at the uh, the obesity epidemic that we have in the country and mm-hmm. the number of people who are overweight and so on, I guess doing nothing is not really a strategy. So what is a conscientious, not yet overweight person, what, what should he or she be doing to stay healthy? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and um, I would say you know especially from the approach that I I'm taking with regards to nutrition and activity and and, and things like that, the approach I don't think would be very different actually uh, for somebody who just wants to um, you know maintain a healthy body weight or maybe they're a little bit overweight but don't have any diagnosed medical problems yet. I think the approach is very uh, similar 
um, that I would uh, really be thinking about taking. And that's really with regards to practicing building and attaining healthy nutrition habits. And so, you know, there's different things that uh, we would talk about, but eating uh, at regular time intervals, um, making sure that uh, meals are balanced, um, making sure that they have enough protein and fiber in those meals, um, eating when they're hungry. And um, really one of the things that I, um, I work a lot with folks on is tuning into their hunger cues so that they're um, listening to their body when their body asks for nutrients. And that can be very helpful for a lot of people and something that I think is actually very overlooked, you know, and, and definitely uh, going along with that is, um, is moving movement and exercise on a regular basis. Uh, these type of, type of general health principles, I think, can be applied to really anybody. And is it kind of the same approach that you take in working with the pre-diabetic and type 2 diabetic individuals? Or is there something that people who are at risk for this uh, have to do a little bit differently than some of the rest of us? Yeah, a lot. there's a lot of overlap for sure. Um, because like I said, a lot of these are general health principles that I think everybody can benefit from. But uh, specifically, if we're talking about um, somebody who is diagnosed with prediabetes and is you know, at risk for developing diabetes and type 2 diabetes or some, some other health condition, um, we'd really be focusing on their blood sugar control, which would probably mean that we'd have to take a little bit of a more individualized approach to their nutrition and um, really finding out which particular foods and what food combinations really work well for them uh, as an individual and their lifestyle. Um, we'd obviously be taking a little bit more judicious approach to the intake of carbohydrates for that population as well. Maybe a little looking at that a little bit more tightly than we would with um, somebody who has uh, normal, healthy insulin sensitivity. And as you were talking, I, again, like to make sure that we're not leaving somebody out by assuming that we know something. What is type 2 diabetes as opposed to type 1 diabetes? Yeah, it's a, it's a, good, uh, a good point as well. So type 2 diabetes is um, a condition where we are not producing uh, enough insulin for blood sugars in the blood to get into the cells where we can use that sugar for energy. And so in type 1 diabetes, um, it's a genetic issue where there's no production of insulin and insulin needs to be administered exogenously or from outside the body. In type 2 diabetes, there's a spectrum and some people can produce some insulin um, some people produce more than others, and obviously the stage of the condition, um, how long somebody's had it and how well it's managed, all plays into that. But the thing about type 2 diabetes is that it can be treated very uh, effectively in a lot of cases with uh, nutrition and lifestyle alone without you know, always the need for administering insulin um, from outside the body. Well, that's actually really good news because I think prevention is always better than crisis management. And absolutely, that's really, really good to know and probably uh, very important for people who may be in a position to kind of interrupt the process, which I guess raises the question of uh, 
can this stuff be reversed or is it slowed down when you do your interventions uh, with whether it be uh, pre-diabetes or uh, type two, can, can we actually get out of uh, that, that diagnosis? Or again, is it a matter of slowing it down and managing, you know? Yeah, I think it's important to be, um, to be really uh, nuanced with our language around, um, you know, reversing um, and cure when it comes to these uh, conditions, because people have different kind of definitions of, of those things. So I think, though, it's, it's pretty safe to say that with uh, regards to prediabetes, that's a condition that I'm pretty confident to say that can absolutely be reversed um, and somebody could no longer have that uh, diagnosis anymore. Uh, their blood sugars uh, and insulin sensitivity will be quite in a normal healthy range and can stay there. Now with type 2 diabetes, it's a little bit trickier. And of course, again, depending on the stage of the condition, how long someone's had it and how well it's been managed, you know, I would say, you know, maybe we, we can we can confidently say that it can be placed into remission with a lot of the things like we're talking about diet and lifestyle in a lot of cases alone, um, sometimes with or without the use of, of certain medications. And so if it's put into long-term remission, some people might consider that being reversed or cured, but I think, um, you know, it's just kind of how, how we're looking at that. Okay. But that's again, a very hopeful kind of thing that, uh, mm -hmm that we're not talking about something that has to run a, a natural degenerative course over time. Something Absolutely. that can be interrupted. However, it, we, we do it, whether it be in, in terms of reversing or limiting or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna throw a few uh, questions at you just based on things that people have told me without me being sure how much, how, how authoritative the information is. But first question is really, how bad is sugar just generally for, for people? Is it, is it something that we should try to avoid at all costs? Is it uh, something that you limit yourself? I, I've heard people say that, that, you know, we could get rid of most of our health problems if we just got rid of sugar. I don't think it's going to happen anytime real soon, but I was wondering how, how bad is it from your perspective? Yeah. So, I, you know, like you said, there's lots of opinions on the subject and a lot of very strong opinions as well. I think one thing that is uh, pretty clear is that our, um, at least, you know, in North America, our food supply has changed very dramatically within the last um, 50 to 100 years. And um, sugar is a big part of that. And so I think, you know, first of all, when most people talk about sugar, I think they're referring to uh, refined sugars, highly refined sugars. Um, mostly from sugary drinks and processed and packaged foods a lot of times. And so I think from my perspective, I, I tend not to want to demonize any particular nutrient in including sugar because we, we can get sugar from natural sources as well, like fruits and uh, things like that. So I think really it comes down to the dosing, um, you know, just like when we're talking about any medicine, and so well, one thing that I think, um, like we were talking about, uh, has been happening is that the dose of sugar that we're all getting on a very frequent basis has been really uh, increased uh, a lot. And so I think this is, you know, a big part of a lot of health problems, a lot of metabolic 
um, health problems. And so I, I think it's, it's definitely we can all benefit from decreasing our sugar intake, especially from refined uh, sources. But I think, you know, at the same time, there's a time and a place and a use for sugar, especially from natural sources. So I, I wouldn't say that um, any, any particular food needs to be cut out completely uh, in, in most circumstances. Okay, that's kind of good to hear. Uh, <laughs> another thing that I've heard different opinions on is, well, I, I've never heard anybody say it's good to skip breakfast, but I've heard people talk about that the ideal thing is three good meals a day to some people saying five or six small meals or three meals and two well-controlled snacks? Or is there a, a best way that's been established for, for how humans are supposed to eat? Yeah, that's a great uh, question as well. And something that's uh, a lot of people are talking about right now and a lot of information, especially on the internet about intermittent fasting. You know, I would say uh, really uh, the approach that I like to take is an individualized approach. So the classical intermittent fasting, I think that most people um, are talking about is defined as about a 16 hour fast starting uh, before sleep and ending, you know, the next day, maybe around lunchtime. And so uh, that can work for some people. But I think for a lot of people, it's not a strategy that's sustainable for a very long time. And so when I'm talking about um, any type of nutrition intervention or nutritional planning with, with a client, I'm always talking about uh, strategies that are going, they're going to be able to keep in place for a very long time, ideally for the rest of their life. So when it comes to uh, intermittent fasting or any specific diet, uh, like let's say keto diet or, or something like that. You know, if somebody doesn't feel confident that they and comfortable doing that for years and years to come, it's generally not something that I would recommend a lot. And so I think the other thing to, to note here with intermittent fasting is that there's many different definitions. Like we, I just mentioned, the most common definition of the 16 hour fast and you're skipping breakfast and you're not eating after dinner. But there's, there's uh, also uh, types of intermittent fasting where people will do a modified fast every other day, alternate day fasting, or uh, fasting for certain times of the week or certain times of the year. Uh, a lot of uh, religious uh, groups will engage in, in this type of, of fasting. I, I like to think too, Ron, that there's uh, another type of fasting that happens in between each meal. Uh, that la that lasts about uh, four to six hours, um, ideally for for people. And I think that type of fasting is more in line with uh, most people's natural hunger and satiety cues, uh, their feelings of hunger and fullness. And that is a lot of what I like to propose, and I find works well for a lot of people is intermittent fasting in between meals. Well, that's really good to hear because. Uh... One of the things that happened uh, when I wound up being home much of the time since COVID-19 hit, and of course, I'm a lot uh, closer to a kitchen at home than I would be uh, when I physically went into the office. I, like a lot of other people, put on a few pounds, not too many, but enough to scare me. And one of the ways that I've really managed to stabilize things is I really don't eat between meals and, uh, you know, between any of the three meals. 
And it wasn't that hard to do. You know, I, uh, I mean, some things I'm sure are, are habits and it may seem hard, but, you know, if you're used to, uh, or if you learn how not to, it isn't all that hard. So it sounds though like my strategy of, of eating three normal sized meals and fasting in between uh, is pretty good, I think. <laughs> So. Yeah, I, I I think you're you're definitely on the right track with that, and I think you are getting the benefits of that intermittent fasting in between those meals. Great, as you may know, our podcast really covers a broad age range, but because some people were drawn to it after reading my book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm, we do have you know a certain percentage that are up in the older age ranges. Are there uh, things that we should, those of us who are there, should particularly keep in mind that may be kind of unique to us, or is it pretty much the same advice for everybody? Well, uh, I think, especially for the aging population, I think one thing that I always want to emphasize is that it's never too late to make a positive change with your health. I, I think sometimes we can get kind of stuck in in patterns that maybe are less healthy than we would like, but it's never too late to, to make a positive change um, with regards to health and to uh, really treat the conditions that we're talking about today and improve our metabolic health overall. I think one thing too that I, that I do see a lot with uh, the aging population is the need for, for making sure that protein is adequate in the diet. And I think you know, one thing that we recognize is that we, all of us, as we age, have a tendency to lose some muscle mass. And um, with that can be associated with some of those metabolic conditions that we're talking about. And so I always like to emphasize getting good quality sources of protein with each of those meals during the day as well. Not, and and I, uh, obviously it's a recommendation that I make for pretty much everybody, uh, but especially I think it's important for us as we get older. Okay, good. That's Pretty much at every meal that you you recommend protein. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's important to have uh, meals that are balanced and having a source of protein there, along with healthy fats and uh, often some whole whole sources of of carbohydrates are really the uh, a great a great way to to make sure our meals are are balanced and healthy and enjoyable for us. Great and. Uh, there, there are like a million diets out there, uh, commercial diets. Is there any that uh, you particularly recommend or is it a matter of just kind of eating kind of in a balanced way and getting in your exercise and don't worry about it? Or is there somebody who's really, uh, you know, mastered what, what works for the greatest number of people? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when it comes to um, to diets, there's no shortage of of options out there for us, and it seems like every week or every month there's something new, uh, something new out there. You know, I, I actually like to get away from the diet culture uh, myself, and I encourage you know the clients that I work with to to get away from that. I think it's easy to get stuck in that um, that mindset of of wanting to try something new or wanting to find the magic bullet, the the magic diet that really works. And, and solves our, our health problems. But I like to get away from that and even encourage a lot of times people to get away from using the term diet and instead using the term nutritional pattern um, or nutritional habits. And so, um, yeah, I think uh, more beneficial for a lot of people to find the nutritional pattern that works best for them and allows them to reach their health goals uh, in, the, in the easiest manner possible. 
That's great advice. Uh, really, really happy that you clarified that. One of the unfortunate parts of my job is to keep time. And so um, I do have to say we're drawing close to, to time on this. But uh, let me ask, though, most of the listeners uh, probably don't live in British Columbia where they may be able to access you, even though that's not a, exactly a small town. So your online program, uh, what what is that? Uh, who's it directed toward? What does it involve and so on? Yeah, so I do um, offer online health coaching, uh, health and weight loss coaching, uh, and uh, I do offer some programs for for folks who um, can can benefit and and uh, need to to see some changes with their weight to uh, for health reasons. I work a lot with um, people with metabolic syndrome and uh, pre diabetes and type two diabetes. And I do this type of health coaching uh, online um, in addition to the clinical setting. So I'm definitely available to work with clients that are not living in uh, proximity to where I practice. And they can uh, find me uh, probably most easily through Facebook. And just by searching for my name, Sheldon Bjorgard, I also run a, um, a small Facebook group uh, and a community of of uh, folks who are looking to improve their health and to reverse prediabetes and to put into remission type 2 diabetes using um, nutrition and healthy lifestyle uh, habits. Great, great. And there's such a significant population that can use help in that area. So we'll have the con- <clears throat> excuse me, the contact information in the show notes. But how about rather than me doing it, how about you spell your last name for it so that when people look for you, if they don't have the show notes in front of in front of them, they they spell the name right? Sure, it's it's definitely a tough one. So uh, my first name Sheldon. That's pretty easy. Uh, the last name Bjorgard is spelled B J O R G A A R D. Great. So uh, and as I said, we will have it in the show notes. But I really, uh, I mean, this has been such an enlightening, informative, and for me, quite a quite an eye-opening presentation. I really, really appreciate your coming on, Dr. Sheldon, and sharing all your wisdom with us. I, I know sometimes we get guests who are good guests, fun to listen to, but We don't always get the kind of practical advice that we got from you. And I am so grateful that you've spent the time with us and shared your wisdom with my audience. Look forward to trying to do it again someday. And it was my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Great. Well, thanks once again. And so this concludes this uh, episode of Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Our guest has been Dr. Sheldon Bjorgard telling us lots of useful information about nutrition and uh, his work with metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes. A lot of good information for lots of us, no matter where we are uh, in terms of the weight spectrum, because again, prevention is always better than crisis management. Hope that you will download the episode. Hope that you will If you haven't already, we'll be subscribing to these podcasts. I hope that uh, you will rate and 
uh, review our podcast and really hope that you'll be back next week when we have another really, really informative guest who will be helping us to lead our lives with enthusiasm. Once again, remember to visit the website, the Mental Health Gym, gain all kinds of information in the wellness area, and also always am happy to have you make suggestions about future guests. If you haven't picked up your copy of Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm, remember it's available on Amazon in all of its various forms, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. And uh, I have to honestly admit that there are several behaviors in there that supplement what uh, Dr. Sheldon has taught us today. So I think, again, everybody's goal when they come on the show is to help people become the best versions of themselves as they can in physical, uh, emotional, intellectual, and social way. So come back, keep listening. Thanks again to Dr. Sheldon. And this is Dr. Ron Kaiser signing off, telling you to stay safe and come back next week. Take care now.